Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Subtang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Fever Dreams listeners, we have a special treat for you today. Please welcome back to the program, failed coup leader and fellow Daily Beast reporter, Kelly Weil. Kelly, how's it going? Oh, it's great. Thank you for letting me out of Gitmo for this special episode. I'll be headed right back after we finish recording. All credit to the benevolence and mercy, the everlasting mercy of William Summer. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, Swin, today we've got a couple hot topics. I think this is a packed episode. Top of mind, the Arizona audit has come to an end after only, what, six months? It only took half a year to count some ballots. What do you think? So, Will, obviously we're going to get into this more when we talk to our interview guests in a segment later on in this episode. Jared McDonald, a boy, man who's been on the front lines of the Arizona audit. Arizona all-star here. But before then, I just want to run down quickly with you, take a little trip down memory lane with you and Kelly, because you and I have actually been covering this, not just at the Daily Beast, but on this podcast, basically since it got underway. I'm going to read a headline from March 2021 from a Daily Beast article that you and I co-authored together. The headline reads, a treasure hunter, a Satanism expert, and of course, Mike Lindell fight to overturn Biden win in Arizona. Yeah, this is what I would call prescient. We were kind of one of the first to be like, hey, what's going on in Arizona? What are y'all up to? Look what happened. It sounds like the worst like World of Warcraft raid party, right? You've got all your classes. Mike Lindell, treasure hunter. Necromancer. Yeah. And honestly, you might say so with all the dead people who allegedly voted. Just a flashback to early 2021. I mean, this thing, I think you could even argue, started off just as, if not more dumb than it eventually became. Because it started out with just the most harebrained stuff that didn't even sound like, like at least cyber ninjas. I mean, yeah, it sounds stupid, but okay, you're investigating something that you're claiming is election or cyber fraud. So if you are an adept cyber person, like a ninja, okay, I can understand why that may apply in some stupid universe. But a lot of the stuff that you were tracking at the dawn of this had to do with burning ballots and chicken coops, like really like Smothers Brothers shit. 
Yeah, so this is an interesting sort of little plot line because basically what what happened here is the Arizona Senate, we know all the Republicans in there decided to do this recount. The genius of it was getting, they got, they were like, okay, we need to let a bunch of kooks just loose, right? And we're going to, maybe that we're going to obfuscate who's actually running this audit. We're just going to let these guys run loose. And then when we have the report, we're going to kind of like sand down the edges and make this look like a very serious presentation. And so last Friday, they present the report, which is itself totally nutty, but it looks like the PDF. It looks respectable. But on the outside of the audit, as this is happening in the state capitol, you have militia guys with those uh, skull masks that they favor. You have QAnon people. And we're going to get into this in our interview, but basically there is kind of this idea that the more outre elements have been sort of pushed to the side by the Arizona Senate in an effort to make this look more respectable and I think more portable to other states. Because the fact is, folks, audit mania isn't over. We're just kicking things off here. But they started with the dumbest possible version of it. And then, as you pointed out, kind of sanded it down. I mean, it still looked humiliating and batshit, but it was kind of like they started the franchise off with Gremlins 2 and then built up to the first Gremlins as opposed to like the other way around. Okay, and one of the key elements of this anti-democratic MAGA Gremlins 2 was uh, the stuff that had to do with chicken shit. Or am I being unfair? Was it not chicken? It's not chicken. No. (laughs) So the idea was the family, one of the board of supervisors members who opposed the audit, his family are also chicken magnates in the region. And one of their chicken coops burned down. Oh, well, I was way off then, Will. (laughs) Well, people decided that, in fact, this fire was they had taken all the Trump ballots out to the chicken coop and burned them down. And people would go out to the site of the fire and they'd say, Mm, this doesn't sound like uh, like you know I'm at a rotisserie chicken place. This smells like I'm at a ballot uh, bonfire. And so there was a lot of what I would call amateur forensics. But you might say, this is too crazy. Who could believe this? Well, I'll tell you what. About a month after the chicken coop fire, I was down in Arizona hanging out with Baby Q for my book. And this lady next to me, you get the classic thing. It's like, oh, you're a reporter. You know, how do you live with yourself? Blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, she kind of gets into it. And she goes, okay, well, here's the thing, though. The chicken coop stuff, she just brings it up out of nowhere. And she's like, well, the thing was, there were these chicken coops that all burned down and stuff like that. So, I mean, really, the Arizona audit, while ultimately incredibly boring in terms of what the audit presented, the Arizona will live on in these kind of apocryphal stories that were not officially endorsed by the audit, but that present these sort of nightmarish Western visions of fires in the desert and this kind of stuff, chupacabra type stuff, but that nevertheless people have come to believe in. And like we keep saying, we'll get into this more later in the episode, but the hilarious cliff note to this, it should be the point of a report like this, but no, it's basically an end note, is that it merely confirmed that Biden won Arizona in the 2020 election, which hilarious. This whole thing was cracked up to begin with. So, I mean, it basically has as much value as me counting matchsticks or something and being like, looks like Biden won. Nevertheless, there's a lot of people, a lot of scolds on Twitter who say, don't point out that the audit totally owned itself. That's what they want you to do. (laughs) Whatever. I mean, the audit was a complete disaster. It only confirmed that Biden won the county, as you said. So, you know, better luck next time, I say. Okay. So, Swin, we're in the midst of banned books week, sort of like library publicity stunt. I've always thought to be a bit histrionic because when you look, it's like a lot of these books, it's like not really banned. It's like some parent complained about The Giver 20 years ago, whatever. But it sort of seems like we may actually be moving into genuinely having a couple banned books. So that's why Kelly Weil, a reporter at the Daily Beast, Fever Dreams, Envoy, 
joins us. Kelly, tell us about this broader movement we're seeing to really sort of coordinate book bans across the country. Oh, boy, howdy. So you might recall that pretty much as soon as racial justice protests started sweeping the nation, May, June 2020, there was this huge backlash from the right saying, well, look at the teachers trying to indoctrinate our children in really, really basic racial justice and dignity concepts. And in the back half of 2020, early 2021, there was this wellspring of groups dedicated to closely examining school textbooks. And now that school is back in session, we're starting to see the fruits of that in these groups issuing lists of books that they do not care for. And wouldn't you know it, quite a lot of them have to do with race. So Kelly, your report looks at this group called Moms for Liberty. And it strikes me a lot of their complaints are sort of they're coming at the race thing from kind of a sideways view like they're kind of like finding a book that maybe touches on race and they're but they're cranky about it and they kind of look for another way to complain about it that isn't so obvious so tell me about this group and the list they're putting out for parents right so this is more or less an astroturf group right they popped up late last year have quote unquote chapters all over the country what's funny is they claim to have one in my extremely rural hometown i would be not stunned but i can tell you for a fact there's not enough people to have a thriving group there. So the hotspot for this Moms for Liberty fight is a school district right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. That's where the leader of a local chapter who I cannot stress enough, does not have children in the district. Her children are homeschooled. (laughs) She has a list of books that she thinks are untoward. And there is just an absolutely phenomenal 11-page spreadsheet of all the books in schools and why various books have different issues, ranging from books about Martin Luther King Jr. to a very lovely book about seahorses that I reviewed for this. It says the seahorses are too horny. So yeah, I mean, listen, we've we've got to protect our youth from learning that seahorses do reproduce. I'm going to regret asking this, but what does a horny seahorse look like in this book? Is this a cartoon? Is it a pregnant seahorse? Like what's happening? So having read this book now, I, I found it on a YouTube page called like Miss Tracy's Story Hour or something. And it's like, <laughs> it's like watercolor drawings of seahorses, right? They're holding tails. And it does mention that, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go to bat for this. It's very, it shows a stable two parent relationship between these two loving seahorses. It's like, and you wouldn't know it from the description of this book in the Moms for Liberty dossier, right? Because it sounds like hardcore seahorse porn. And I'm telling you, having read it, it is nothing of the sort. I don't even know what hardcore seahorse porn would look like. So the gay, horny seahorses are teaching critical race theory to the homeschool children. So these guys have a bone to pick with Johnny Appleseed. Is that correct? That is correct. I was raised to think that Johnny Appleseed, as derivative as it may sound to even children, is an all-American thing, right? I, I sensed no CRT in Johnny Appleseed. You would think that, but you have to consider what kind of Americans Johnny Appleseed encountered when he crossed the country planting apple trees. And some of those were Native Americans, which this group seems to have an issue with quite a lot of depictions or inclusions of Native American books or authors. So it has this Johnny Appleseed book has brief passing mention of uh, tensions in the 
west as it was being settled. And it's, you know what, you just can't have children learning about that objective fact in American history. And just to read a little bit more from your recent story here, Kelly, quote, multiple books that contain Spanish or French Creole words receive warnings from the group for potentially confusing children. An article about crackdown on civil rights demonstrators, meanwhile, is deemed inappropriate for, quote, negative view of firemen and police. See, see, if I could just cut in here, I mean, this is this weird kind of diagonal way they're going at it, right? They're like firemen because brutally they have the fire hoses that are being turned on demonstrators, right? They don't want to say like, I'm mad at this book because it addresses race. They just have to be like, they're going after the firemen. That's right. This is the thin red line in action. Like I've always wondered what those thin red line flags are meant to convey, like firefighter nationalism. And this is actually it. This is like, whoa, whoa, we're not mad about the police brutality it's that firefighters were involved and we need to protect their image. What child hates a firefighter? It's also when there's images of police dogs attacking people, that's an anti-small pupper and we need to protect the doggos. So if I could just lay out, I mean, this kind of strikes me as a little pet theory I'm working on. So I think the larger critical race theory pushback has created this movement on the right to just generally kind of like get into the curriculum kids are receiving, even beyond critical race theory. And I think a lot of this is being laid out in what has become a new American folk art, the freak out at a municipal meeting. And so like, if you look, I mean, this goes beyond this group Kelly's been talking about, Moms for Liberty. There was this viral moment on the right where a mother that got a, it was previously arrested for shoving a Nordstrom rack employee over a mask law. She had this, the blaze, they went crazy over this lady who read a middle school passage about this book that was very heavy on kind of discussing race relations, but also some villain was discussing, talking about cornholing a child. And so she goes, she said, that's anal sex. I don't have anal sex. I don't want my kids having anal sex. This was like a huge moment on right-wing internet. Um, Additionally, was the outrage explosion there over sex part or the part that it's a child? (laughs) Were they just upset because it was gay? Well, there's this mention in this book of this. I mean, basically what's happening is people are going through these books and kind of combing through them for anything. I mean, the book is not about anal sex. But additionally, there was this huge moment on the right where in Ohio, in this town, these kids, these seniors in high school got this book that was like 700 writing prompts. And some of the writing prompts include phrases is like, you are a serial killer. What TV shows are on your DVR? <laughs> and write a sex scene you wouldn't show your mom. Well, folks, that's going to set them off. Also, that's any sex scene, but go on. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, look, I mean, is this book from a group called the San Francisco Writers Grotto? Yes, maybe it's not going to be a huge hit in Ohio. But basically, the mayor of this town did a little grandstanding, and he goes to the school board and he says, you're all going to be arrested for child pornography if you don't resign right now. So, I mean, this was another massive explosion this month on the right in terms of like, wow, what a good mayor threatening to arrest uh, democratically elected officials on some trumped up charges. So I think we're seeing this critical race thing expand into just this general just freak out over sort of any what they see as like sort of subversion in the schools. Oh, yeah. No, that's absolutely what's up. And for the story, I was talking with a leader in an anti-censorship organization. And she said, yeah, in the past, we've always seen attempts to ban specific books, right? It's the mom going in and claiming that Harry Potter is Satanism or whatever. I I mean, accurate. We can ban J.K. Rowling at this point. I'll join the Christian militant right there. But she said what's new is this attempt to have wholesale bans of school curricula, right? Where they get in and they just try try and wipe out the lesson plan and replace it with something else. And if you are interested in what Moms for Liberty would like to replace the offending textbooks with, they have a list of recommended materials, including one that was deemed too racist in the 1980s and 
sparked a probe then for why it was so goddamn racist in the 80s. What was too racist in the 1980s? There was nothing too racist in American culture. Okay, but go on, please. They managed and it's, you know what, it's coming back. So Kelly, just to go back to Moms for Liberty for a second, how successful have they been specifically at growing the numbers and actually getting what they want? Or is this mostly confined right now to a lot of rhetorical shoving on places like Facebook.com? So in Nashville, or rather right outside Nashville, it's an actual issue because that is a state that signed one of those quote unquote anti-CRT laws. So what this group is doing is they are snitching to the Department of Education saying, look at these books. Do you think they maybe violate the new law with their pictures of civil rights demonstrators being attacked with fire hoses? And so that's a place where as much as I personally make fun of like all the Facebook grousing. There is institutional power aligned with these folks and they are using it as a cudgel and they are showing up to school board meetings where I'm going to say this every single time they do not have children in- enrolled in the school. But yeah, they're just straight up calling the mayor. You know, they're calling the governor, they're calling the state school board. So that's where these threats become a little less. My friend's uncle's cousin said there's Satanism in the uh, Franklin County schools and more like, oh, damn, this could actually get a school teacher fined or fired. That's the real risk, I think. Kelly, horrifying and fascinating stuff as always. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We will have you back very, very soon. Be safe. All right. See you around. (laughs) Thanks, Kelly. So, Will, moving on. The next thing I want to share, depressingly enough, with our audience is some new revelations and reporting about these pro-ivermectin, anti-COVID vaccine kooks and other kind of like batty people who are making it their life's mission and crusade right now to try to convince COVID patients, people who could very well die from this illness, to either not go to the hospital or to leave the hospital once they've arrived. How ballooning is this at this point and how much of a cause for concern <laughs> is it for hospitals across the country? Yeah, so I mean, right. So this is reporting. You know, we've touched on this issue a bit on the pod in the past. Now, NBC reporter and Fever Dreams guest Ben Collins has a story on out about this, uh, which, you know, sharply hits on this phenomenon that they're calling like vigilante medicine. Uh, so this is an issue where, you know, after a couple high profile deaths of COVID deniers, um, you know, Veronica Wolski in Chicago, who we touched on, uh, and uh, various conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, uh, Robert David Steele uh, was another one. So people are, are, are saying, well, hmm, these people are dying of COVID. Now, it certainly can't be that COVID is a real thing and that I should get the vaccine or that um, the ivermectin treatment doesn't work. no. It has to be that the hospitals are murdering people. And so this, as laid out in this NBC report, what's happening is basically after these deaths, the mood really changed in these Facebook groups and among these conspiracy theorists from just prophylactically take your ivermectin and then go to the hospital if you feel sick to don't go to the hospital because you won't get your ivermectin. Or if you're in the hospital, you need to leave so you can get your ivermectin. So increasingly what these doctors are seeing. In case the doctor in the ER or wherever will refuse to give you the exactly. You have to preemptively leave to get yourself that sweet, sweet. If your doctor won't get it for you, you can get it on Amazon.com as in horse or sheep. That's basically the play. Exactly. So increasingly, this is sort of like a new dangerous development in terms of like before it was these idiotic folk re- remedies. And now it, it's gone to actively like, don't go to the doctor because you're going to die. OK. And a lot of this stuff is obviously being pushed on where else? Facebook.com. And even though Facebook has been trying to put the kibosh on a bunch of these different groups that basically have wacky names that 
sort of give away the game. Like, don't get the vaccine. The hospital is going to kill you. COVID is a hoax. While they're starting to try to deactivate and take down groups with flashy monikers that are very close to things like that. According to this report by our friend Ben Collins, groups with names like, quote, Ivermectin MD team have been proliferating on Facebook, oftentimes gathering tens of thousands of followers, if not more than that. I guess that's kind of more subtle than some of the other names, but Ivermectin MD team, I don't know, man. That kind of stands out to me like an undercover informant wearing a t-shirt that says, I am not a snitch. Well, it says MD. It's it's all good. They're doctors, I guess. This whole thing is really proliferating on social media. And this, this idea that, I mean, it's just a sort of a new dangerous level. I think this really hit a, its biggest point in Ireland, where... There was this guy named Joe McCarran who was in his 60s who had COVID. He was in the hospital. And then these anti-vaccine types get into the hospital and they're like, dude, you got to leave. You're going to the hospital is going to kill you. And there's there's a sort of viral video of the doctors being like, no, don't leave. These guys don't know what they're talking about. And then so he's out of the hospital for a couple of days. His situation gets worse. He returns to the hospital and ultimately dies. So this is this hasn't really uh, jumped the pond as a topic. But you can see how there's real sort of real life consequence to these people playing around online. And then ultimately, it's like, well, I've been posting enough about ivermectin. I guess I think it's a real thing. And it turns out to not be as effective as they claim. Oh, yeah. Talk to these doctors, these hospitals, people who are on the ground living through it. And I mean, that also combined with the hard data that's publicly available and that you can look at. This is a case study in the premise of it is not just the Internet. These things absolutely do not stay confined just to a little box or a little screen that you're looking at in the dark. This is probably the most gratuitous and graphic example that I can remember in recent decades, where that is just violently and viciously underscored over and over again, especially nowadays, when the weekly death tolls across the country are still ranking in the thousands, even though we have safe and effective vaccination readily available and free to anyone who is eligible. Yeah. I mean, the New York Times had a recent report about how the death tolls uh, since the vaccine came out are markedly higher in red counties versus blue ones. So this NBC report is sort of the most extreme example of that, where you have people being dragged out of hospitals or otherwise suing hospitals to get their ivermectin. Oh, yeah. And the Daily Beast, I put up some reporting on this today on Tuesday morning with our dear colleague, Roger Sollenberger, where all of this is coming at a time when the National Republican Party, various GOP organs, Fox News, and Trump's big political and fundraising operation, they're all making a killing off of fundraising, off of anti-vaccine and anti-vaccine mandates hysteria. They're just pushing that button relentlessly. You can see it in the emails, text messages, and other fundraising appeals and solicitations you review. And you can obviously see it anytime you turn on something like Fox News or Fox Business or listen to conservative talk radio. This stuff is everywhere. It's very clear what the profit motive is. And they admit it. We talked to multiple Fox News insiders who said that this stuff, when they put it on the air nowadays, oh, it's great for ratings. So Swin, you know, this week, the Arizona audit came to sort of anticlimactic end in Arizona. But there's a whole lot going on. And frankly, I can't make heads or tails of it. What exactly happened in Arizona? You know, there's a lot of rival groups, a lot of even within different political parties who are making various claims about what happened with the audit. So to explain it, we've got someone who's been on the front lines of the Arizona audit, Jared McDonald Lavoie. He's a reporter for the Arizona Mirror, and he's been getting scoops, taking a lot of flack from pro-audit forces, his dedicated haters out there in the desert. I think we're going to get to the bottom of this. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. 
Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, Jared, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So, Jared, you know, you've been covering the Arizona audit debacle, the omni shambles for it seems like maybe half a year now. Now that it's over, I mean, how are you feeling? Are you relieved? Are you feeling bereft? A little like, what do I do now? What what are you thinking? Well, kind of what I'm thinking is it doesn't feel like it's quite over yet. I don't (laughs) think it's I don't think it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if you foreground for the listener, I mean, so the audit report from Cyber Ninjas, this much hyped report came out on Friday after leaking on Thursday. So there was like a lot of drama there. I mean, if you could sum up just exactly what this report said. Yeah, well, kind of a, at first, it's a little bit of a, a difficult thing to kind of condensed, but in the most condensed way to, to get that down is that what it said was basically that they're, they couldn't conclusively find any proof of fraud and that basically that their hand recount of the nearly 2.1 million ballots found that Joe Biden did, in fact, win the election actually by more votes than the official canvas and Trump lost by 200 less votes than the official canvas. And the people who were spearheading this, the most shocking thing to me watching this from afar, obviously not in Arizona right now, was that they allowed this report to be released as it was written. (laughs) Did someone just not look at the arithmetic that was going on there? Allegedly, they did. Allegedly, this report, and that was part of one of the issues, was that we were supposed to get this report a while ago. And then one of the delays was that the people who were authoring the report got COVID, and then that delayed it. And then another thing that delayed it was just that they just kept pushing it back. They were saying they needed more time. And they were saying, well, it's going to be in three parts. And well, we got the three parts. And the three parts were just that there was a longer version. And there was like an executive summary version. We were expecting it just it was going to be these really expansive versions of it, but that really wasn't what we ended up getting. But it just kept being beset by all these different delays that kept happening, whether that be just the fact that these auditors didn't really seem to anticipate a lot of the things that kept happening. Some of that ended up being somewhat in the report. Like at one point in the report, they talked about how like they set up side, like I think it's like 50 terabytes to store data and they ended up needing like two petabytes to store the data for all the things they oh, needed. Oh, now you're just making up words. <laughs> <laughs> so as someone who has covered and studied this extensively, okay, look, obviously they were not going to find a massive fraud conspiracy that somehow swung the legitimate election from Trump to Biden in Arizona. That just was not going to happen. It was obviously a fiction. But what you were saying earlier was, could they even find evidence of a single ballot that was fraudulent or that there was funny business on it? That is the thing that always stuns me 
with these kinds of operations. It's like you're not going to find the big kahuna of what you are positing, which is just conspiratorial, anti-democratic bullshit. But like one or two ballots out of so many ballots cast, could they even find that? Well, they're claiming that they've found, and that's a big part of this report now, right? They're claiming that there's, that's one of the things that a lot of people now are latching onto with this report is that they're saying that the big first part is, you know, here's our recount, which says Biden won by this many and Trump won by, or Trump lost by this many. But all this stuff is inconclusive. But here's these things that we find somewhat suspicious, which is there's these Uakava ballots, which we found that there was this many that had this many issues. And it, it happens to be above the margin of victory that Trump would need. Or we found this many mail-in ballots that have this alleged issue, and it's it's over Trump's margin of victory. Or we have this many ballots that have this many issues. And if you add them together, it's over the margin of victory. But when you start diving into a lot of these ballots that have issues, you start that they claim have issues and that you pick apart the issues that they're claiming that they find. Like some of the issues they say is like, I believe on one of the groups of ballots that they're claiming have issues is like that they didn't have signatures on them. And it's specific type of ballot. I forget the exact ballot type. It's an early ballot, but they claim it has issues. And when you look into that particular ballot that some election experts out here have have pointed, rightly pointed out, it's like, well, well, those types of ballots are for protected people, judges, police officers, domestic violence people who might not, victims who might not put their signature on a ballot. And that's not in the report. Hugo Chavez, the usual. <laughs> it's a whole like casting doubt thing, it seems, with a lot of these like different little ways they're breaking down all these different numbers on these ballots. Okay, so covering this on the ground, what was the single nuttiest thing you saw in the past if you round up, you've been covering this for right about a year now. What is the most batshit thing that stands out in your mind as sort of typifying what exactly went on in Arizona for these last six or so months? Honestly, that's a very difficult question because there's just, <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, I think one of the things for me personally, that's been just absolutely kind of insane that I think it got some major traction, but I think people have been not paying as much attention to is just, I think it's just some of the interconnection between some of the really crazy groups and the people who are running this audit, right, which is like, it's something I covered earlier on, which was I was trying to figure out there was this film that was made, it got really special access to the audit floor, like us reporters, the deep rig, the deep rig, like us reporters couldn't even get on the audit floor. We had to be up in, you know, the press room, like we couldn't film ballots. Well, the truth was just too intense for you. You couldn't <laughs> handle it. And like, yeah, we weren't allowed to go down there. Like we got in trouble for taking grainy cell phone photos of people on the floor. We got accused of doxing, but this film got access. And the guy who made this film was this guy who's like claimed that like aliens were behind 9-11 and some child like guy was like, has time traveled with aliens as part of some government thing. Like, and this guy got access to film a documentary called The Deep Rig and like when I watched the premiere of it, Doug Logan was in this film and like all the connections within this film with with Michael Flynn and it being in it and Patrick Byrne and what the film is based off of Patrick Byrne's book with what Patrick Byrne's book, The Deep Rig is about. And just like the obvious bias within that just to me should be enough to really just show everything, lay bare what the audit is about and just how that didn't really like, I felt like that would be like the nail in the coffin of like, hey, look, this this audit is a little bit biased to a lot of people, but it really didn't seem to really stick for a lot of people when you, you see, when you look at the 
the way people saw that story going forward. I, I think it didn't stick or land for a lot of people. That that seemed a bit crazy to me. Deep rig. It took me all these months. I finally get the joke. Will, you want to ask Jared something? Sorry, what's the joke? Like like oil drilling? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So like deep water horizon. Getting that right, right? Who can know? I mean, what's going on there? So, I mean, Patrick Byrne, the person you're talking about being the former Overstock.com CEO who sort of had a second turn as this election truther out in Arizona. So, I mean, Jared, I think you're hitting on something very interesting here, which was the vagueness about who exactly was involved in this audit and the kind of the colorful characters who were somewhat involved or would be kind of spotted there. And then they would sort of reluctantly admit this person was involved. One thing that's been interesting to me in the aftermath of the report was I think that initially the report was seen on the right. People were kind of trying to put a happy face on it and they were claiming, oh, no, this is real, whatever. Or this is great at proof voter fraud. But I think we've seen over the weekend and the past couple of days, some people who were involved in the report say like the deep state kept the real truth out. I'm thinking of someone like Jovan Pulitzer, who's sort of a itinerant inventor and interesting guy who claims the deep state cut his real part out. I'm thinking there's a lot of pressure now on Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers, who was sort of the who sort of became a key figure in the audit, you know, as pro audit as it could get. Now people are saying she's covering it up. What are you seeing from that backlash towards the audit's operators now that it failed to prove fraud? Yeah, that has also been an interesting kind of thing that's come out of this over the weekend, seeing that kind of new split, because it's like I remember on Thursday when the leak came out. There was this instant, like everyone went quiet on the, the Telegram chats and Twitter. I remember there's this one tweet I saw in specific that said, everyone stay calm, stay quiet. Don't pay attention to the news. Just stay ready for tomorrow. Like no one wanted to talk about anything that was coming out of the leaks or what the draft report was saying. And then over the weekend, I continued watching and I saw like these two tribes kind of come out. One that said the report vindicates us. It's showing the fraud. And the other that was saying, look, there's more to the report that we're not seeing. And some of that was like, like you said, the Jovan Pulitzer groups who were saying that his stuff was being left out. The deep state and the politically correct lawyers of the rhinos of the GOP suppressed this. And I also saw some of that from allegedly, I believe, like Matthew DiPerno was saying something around the, the, the same lines. And people with him were saying that the lawyers related to these rhinos were suppressing the real truth from getting out and not allowing the cyber ninjas to say what was truly on their mind, which was to decertify the election. And so I started seeing these two tribes appear, which was one who was saying, no, this vindicate us, hold the line. This actually proves the fraud. And then the others that were saying, no, this is a watered down report that was pushed because they're scared and the deep state got involved and it got to someone within the party. And this was all a grift. Like there's there's this there's this group within Arizona, this Patriot Party of Arizona that's been really really pushing hard against a lot of the people like Wendy Rogers. They were actually down there at the rally on Friday and they they went up to Wendy Rogers and called her a grifter for the audit and said that she's just grifting off the audit and that she isn't doing anything. It, it is funny when it's like, well, you're not entirely wrong, but you're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're making this argument for the wrong reasons. Yeah, because they were saying that she hasn't done enough. They're like, you haven't pushed to get the machines completely out of the state and that you haven't, you know, the Dominion machines need to be out of the state and you need to do this and you haven't called a special session and and that's the big thing now that they're pushing for is a special session. They're saying that because the, they, Wendy Rogers and all these people haven't called for a special session yet, 
that that's obviously evidence that this has been suppressed. And so now she's been on this whole push for calling for a special session in Arizona to have this election integrity special session to pass laws related to what was just revealed and quote revealed in the audit report. Yeah, you know, there's something interesting about this. I Jovan Pulitzer, who is sort of has become a beloved mascot of voter fraud hunters across the country. He was a big booster of the audit. And then now he's claiming, oh, the deep state sabotaged it. They kept my truth out. So I emailed Javon and I said, hey, man, what's going on here? Who in the deep state did this? Was it the state Senate? Who did you wrong? And he kind of turned into the Riddler. Like he was being very cryptic about it. And he was saying like, <laughs> oh, like that is the big question, isn't it? And I was like, well, it seems like you don't really know what you're talking about. Oh, he does that with you so often. This is like the eighth time he's done this to you. He's stumped me. The other thing I would say is this has gotten so far that some mysterious characters have created their own fake audit. Uh, You know, Jared, I I know this is happening relatively quickly, basically right as we record. But recently, a fraudulent version of the audit report has been circulating that people claim is the, quote, real audit that was suppressed by the deep state that really does prove voter fraud. Now, Cyber Ninjas has come out and said that this is all fraudulent. So, I mean, really, it seems like this this is kind of heating up this this feud between audit true believers who feel disappointed and the audit operators themselves. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, like you said, they literally just came out this morning, Cyber Ninjas, saying that this other version of the audit report that's been published by groups like Gateway Pundit, that's been making the rounds, that's this alleged watered down version that allegedly, I think it was, they said that Corey Lanehofer, who's been the attorney for Cyber Ninjas for quite some time, they said that he suppressed this alleged version, which this version too, that has been making the rounds, it's funny, because it has like bolded text in it, which is something that no versions of the report ever had, not the leaked version, the multiple leaked versions that got out. None of them had this bolded text anywhere in it. So it was a complete different formatting change. It literally called for like decertifying the election and things like that. None of the other versions ever had anything like that. They had like recommendations for legislation, but they never straight out like called for decertifying the election and saying the election was like fraudulent. And this version was published by Gateway Pundit first from what I could find in my research. And then it was it was like pushed by other people, including like Matthew DiPerno and uh, some other Telegram chats. I saw in some Q chats and things like that. And it just started making the rounds as like it was this this fraudulent or this this watered down version of the report. And yeah, Cyber Ninjas finally came out this morning and said, no, this is a fake version of the report. I just want to add, though, real quick about Jovan, something that just came to mind real interesting, is that it's interesting that the one interesting thing with Jovan, though, is that there did seem to be some stuff related to his tech in the draft report that was leaked, like, and some stuff that did seem to be like related to the alleged kinematic artifacting with like uh, looking at ovals and things like that. And there doesn't seem to be any of that in the final report. So it is interesting because it's like sometimes something that we've noticed in like reporting on this over the, the um, this like past like year almost of reporting on like this election fraud and the lead up to the audit. And then the audit itself is like with some of these people, there's like this like small hint of truth in certain things and then complete manipulations or whatever it is. And so he may be somewhat telling the truth that like they suppressed something or but it's probably not the deep state and they they might have removed it because, well, like certain other things that were we found removed in the draft report from the final report, it just wasn't something they could substantiate. Well, in terms of not just these wacky and in some cases, outsider characters, tell our audience a little bit more about the institutional support that has been sustained within places like the Arizona GOP for stuff like this, like 
give us a taste of why this was allowed to go on by people in power. I think we know the short answer why. I'm just looking for a little bit more of a graphic readout of how this was sustained by people in positions of power and political influence in Arizona. Well, it's interesting. Like we actually just got some Ryan Randazzo over at the Arizona Republic actually just recently got some records released on on Friday, the day that this all started coming undone with the report coming out related to some more records related communications. And we learned a lot more in regards to some of the some of what you're talking about. And it showed that Arizona Senate President Karen Fan was in communications with Phil Waldron talking about his group, Allied Security Operations Group, which was one of the groups involved with the Antrim County audit that was largely disproven as being bunk in how it did its its analysis of their election systems. And she was first looking to hire them. She was found in December of last year to be in communications with Rudy Giuliani and Christina Bob of OANN, who is also, you know, a Rudy Giuliani and Trump team lawyer. All these people have been in communication with people related to the Trump team ahead of conducting this audit, whether they want to admit it or not publicly, we have that in public record. And she was also in communication with Waldron once it, the news got out. Jeremy Duda, one of my colleagues, found out that before we found out who was going to conduct the audit officially from them, that she was looking to hire ASOG with Phil Waldron. Once that news got out, she apparently texted Waldron and was like saying, hey, we need to go to a plan B. And Waldron ended up, you know, kind of uh, later telling her, hey, I think Doug Logan might be a good guy. And Cyber Ninjas, we also know that Cyber Ninjas, Doug Logan, uh, is someone who worked with Matthew DiPerno and Phil Waldron in Antrim County on that report. So you have that connection there. So it's like all these people are just interconnected and have been talking with the head people out here in Arizona like Senate President Karen Fan and Senate President Karen Fan is well connected within the GOP establishment out here, here in Arizona and has well to do connections with people like Arizona GOP chairwoman Kelly Ward. And then, you know, when you look at the actual makeup of the audit itself, the people who are running it, the spokesperson, Randy Pullen, he's a former Arizona GOP chairman himself. And he runs a, he's the treasurer of a organization that has been helping fund the audit, this Guardian Defense Fund, which was made by this other representative who is using it to help fund lawsuits to go after Democratic lawmakers who allegedly defame him and other lawmakers like Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs. So just a lot of the, there's all these connections to big players within the GOP out here in Arizona and the audit itself. It's just this really... Jared, you sound like a guy with a crazy wall with all the string and stuff, but you're right. <laughs> that is how it is. It's akin to, and I'm going to get a little bit ludicrous here because the moment calls for it, if on a national scale, if Nancy Pelosi welcomed in a team to help design a bill on a Medicaid overhaul and it was fronted by a liberal who also self-identified as like a top secret UFO hunter and believed that Elvis was currently being kept at Roswell. It sort of boggles the mind when you actually lay out how outlandish and just aggressively frivolous so much of this stuff in Arizona was, but it was backed by the Republican mainstream almost every step of the way. And the things that they didn't like or felt were just maybe a little bit too embarrassing, they kind of kept their mouth shut about. It's remarkably perverse and depraved, I, at least by my estimation of what went down. So Jared, as you mentioned, the audit, audit mania is not over as much as we may like it to be. I mean, where is this headed both nationally? Obviously, Texas is doing kicking off its own audits. Where is this headed nationally? 
And then my understanding is in Arizona, they're like, well, we just need to audit another county. Yeah, I think in Arizona, nationally, we're headed into a new phase, which is this is going to be, hey, we're going to audit all these other states. Wendy Rogers has already said that she's starting this new coalition with all these other lawmakers to audit every, forensically audit every state in the country. And like you said, Texas, Pennsylvania is really pushing hard to audit their state. I know that there's allegedly some efforts to redo an audit in Georgia, even though Georgia's done so much already there. So I think this is just the beginning of a new phase of lawmakers pushing for similar efforts. And I also know that there's, we had a cavalcade of lawmakers come down to Arizona and tour the audit floor. I think there was like 20 different state delegations that came down here and toured the audit during its time. So I think a lot of different states are going to be looking ahead to see what's going to happen there. Also, I don't think that what's going on here in Arizona has any end in sight anytime soon because of the doubt they kind of sowed around the cybersecurity infrastructure. And we still have this agreement between our board of supervisors and the Senate to look at the routers and these Splunk logs and this agreement that they've set up. So they're going to be trying to look for information allegedly there. And I think that and Senate President Karen Fan already said that she's willing to possibly issue more subpoenas against the county and possible future legislation as well. So it's just, I think we just entered a new chapter, so to speak, in this saga. And it's just, I think at this point, it's almost kind of never ending on how this is going to go, especially with 2022 coming up. I think that it's just going to keep going. I think it's just, we're going to need audit reporters as a new beat. I mean, guys like former President Trump and the show's favorite pillow mogul, Mike Lindell, are currently trying to spread the never-ending conservative audit fever to places like Alabama and Texas. Now, I'm not a big, fancy, big city lawyer or anything like that, but if I do recall correctly, Trump and Republicans generally do okay in places like Alabama and Texas. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, Jared, there is more than enough ahead here. And, uh, you know, you're going to keep following it. People can find you on Twitter at Jared McAvoy. That's J-E-R-O-D-M-A-C-E-V-O-Y. Or they can follow your reporting at the AZ Mirror azmirror.com, which I found to be really an invaluable resource, even beyond the audit. I mean, Arizona, I always say it is a powerful node of QAnon sentiment, of just generally kind of the right-wing stuff. It starts there and it it spreads from Arizona to the rest of the country. So Jared, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Fantastic. For this week's installment of our beloved segment, Fresh Hell, Will, we need to talk about what is basically the Gen Z Republican hype house on TikTok. Fill us up with this brain poison. So Gen Z's taken over, folks. Move over, millennials. You're old now. You're in your 30s. Yeah, you and I are both geriatric. Exactly. Now we have Gen Z. They're cool. They're into TikTok. So basically, if you think of the millennial Republican movement was typified by Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk, who now is an incredibly old 27 and yet is nevertheless sort of affiliated Ugh, with this, this Cambridge Republican group. Over. So I noticed that there's this new Gen Z movement and it's called – now work with me on the syntax here. Today is America, right? 
And so you might, it kind of reads like, oh, okay, America, yeah, okay, I got it, they're Republicans. Our time is now, today is America, okay. So Today is America is this sort of young Gen Z media collective coming out of a group on TikTok called the Republican Hype House. Now, as I understand it, they don't actually live together like you might think with a Hype House. It's actually called Republican Hype House? I was making a joke. Oh, it, oh no, no, that's no joke. It's called the Republican Hype House. It's a hugely influential young Republican TikTok Oh, oh dear God. Okay. How many followers do they have? <laughs> I think a lot. I mean, I think they're kind of the premier uh Republican TikTokers. So the so the, today's America is sort of a an outgrowth of Republican hype house. And I noticed that they had a lot of um uh, they have some truly incredible shows that, that you know it sounds like I when I posted about this I was accused of like falling for some AI generated content. No, no, this is real. This is real. Yeah, people think I'm falling for stuff out here. I'm not. This <laughs> happens a lot. People are like this dumbass. You know, he, <laughs> A couple of years ago, people were like, no one really believes in QAnon, do they? Well, you know, cut to January 6th. It's such a tell whenever right-wingers come at you for being like, oh, you're falling for something that's clearly fake. It's like, how has this happened like 8,000 times in the past four or five years and you haven't figured out that the Republican grassroots is this willfully stupid? It's real, man. I'm not falling for this stuff. Okay, so some of these shows include F- Firefight, hosted by Gunnar Thorderson, right? Kind of looks like a Madison Cawthorn type. His name is Gunnar Thorderson, allegedly. Yeah, he sounds like a Crusader Kings character. Gunnar Thorderson. I'm just swishing that around my palate for a moment letting the moment land continue we got a guy named joe and he's got a show called cup of joe politically right not correct and he's kind of the ben shapiro of the gang i think he's wearing a suit and i think he's kind of like a big debate type he looks like what would happen if you shrunk andrew ross sorkin down a couple of sizes and then put him through a washington examiner meat grinder that's a really good way to put it yeah yeah he looks like he's he's really just ready to to churn out some like liberal hypocrisy blog posts okay let's see we've got American Mavericks. Now, this is one of the odder ones. And I realize, obviously, the listeners can't see this, but there's a gentleman, one guy wearing a red suit named Lance Johnston, another guy named Dom Fernando. I mean, can you imagine? We could soon be getting Dom Fernando in Congress, maybe. This is the Gen Z Republicans we're looking for. Okay, I have not been keeping up with the latest fashion trends. I apologize to our Gen Z listeners. Are the 1980s back with the youth? Yeah, I, I think the early aughts are, man. That's what everyone loves, the aughts. The naughty knots. I'm looking at a photo of these American Mavericks, which I highly encourage our listeners to look up at Will Summers' Twitter page. It is hilarious. I do not know what decade these alleged Gen Zers are trying to dress for. It's fantastic. It's kind of like prom cocaine dealer. So Yes, but in okay. like the worst Porky's sequel. There you go. Yes. So then we've got Morgone's Minute. Now, Morgone is spelled M-O-R. G-O-N-N, Morgone. So the things to know in a minute or less, you've got Morgone who's going to school you. And they've got a lot of other stuff, a lot of other kind of similar shows. There's a show called Going Through It, which is, I think, a very Gen Z kind of thing to say. After I put this out, though, I think this is Today is America. It seems like they had a bit of a reckoning. A lot of these shows have disappeared from their website. Oh, no. Why? I don't know. I think they thought maybe some were too ridiculous. I think Gunnar Thorderson survives, but folks like Morgone and Dom Fernando and Lance Johnston their shows have disappeared. I don't know if this is temporary. I know this is weird from a Thai American guy by the name of Aswin Soup saying, saying this, but why don't any of these people have real names? Why are these names also fucking weird? Like Lance Hornbergerston, who's going to host a TikTok show on why if you barbecue phony bologna or veggie meat, you're Antifa. I don't blame people who 
accuse you will of falling for like AI generated stuff, because this is all has to be AI generated. I do not believe that these are organically produced television shows. Well, it kind of does feel like that because like there's a guy named Blake Cresses. Oh, no, come on. I mean, it's just like these are not common last names. (laughs) Going through it with Galen and Joey, Joey spelled J-O-I-E. It really does seem frankly made up. I mean, it's, it's not only that they're not common, they're just not good. These are horrible names. Equally horrible to their politics, but if it works for them. So people might say, what kind of content can we look forward to from these shows? Like, what am I going to get from the Morgone Minute if it still exists? Well, I looked some of these folks up on TikTok, and I think, like, kind of the dominant form of Republican TikTok and is someone will, like, they put a tweet or something, or it's a screenshot, and then it's just a video of the host just going, like, looking up at it and being like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had a chance to experience this content. Can we play any of it on this show? Well, so the difficulty is, that it's the audio it's not really audio right like it's sort of just like it, it'll be like a, a rap song and then it'll say like how to get a religious exemption for a vaccine and the person's just nodding oh okay so the audio is just like mm-hmm it's like oh no no Fauci yeah so this is kind of what we can look forward to from this Gen Z content and I think they're already getting campus chapters of today's America so I think this is one to watch I think Gunnar Thorderson basically I think what happened here is these guys went a little too hard on the young Republican thing. It looks fake. They put a little too much spin on the ball. So I, p- perhaps we will not be seeing these particular characters, but but it certainly is interesting to see Gen Z Republican politics on TikTok bubble up into the real world. Okay, for the past three minutes, I haven't remembered a single thing you said because my brain hasn't finished processing that that show is hosted by someone named Morgone. Morgone, <laughs> I blacked out at Morgone. I, I blacked out Morgone. <laughs> and I was looking at the spelling of it. Are you sure that's how it's pronounced? Not like Mor- M- Morgone? Morgan? I have no idea. I mean, who's to say? Who's to say? Okay, I have a final important inquiry for you, Will. How does this content that you have so far injected in your bloodstream compare to the likes of Fox Nation or the greatest hits of Tommy Loren or Blaze TV? I don't even know if Blaze TV is still around, but surely you must remember enough of it to see how it can compare and contrast. Dude, I remember long ago I reviewed this show called Liberty Treehouse, which was Glenn Beck's children's show when he had a a short-lived sort of streaming network. And it is this kind of, you know, obviously Liberty Treehouse was for like eight-year-olds, but a lot of this stuff is sort of cut from this mold of how am I going to get my Fox contributorship? I'm going to pull the kind of same kind of stuff. I mean, at the same time, it is it is a little unique. I mean, there really is no one like Dom Fernando out there, I think, in the Republican media. So I think the Gen Z flavor should be interesting to watch. At the same time, I think, unfortunately, I think the Gen Z Republican flavor is also typified by white nationalist groipers who show up at CPAC and shout at people or show up at Turning Point USA events and shout down people like Dan Crenshaw. So perhaps we don't just have uh, stuff like Morgone to look forward to. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.